All right, we take on more than just one verse here tonight. We're looking at uh, the, the section on Abraham. And uh, Sarah gets a little bit out of here. But Abraham's going to get most of it. But the section on Abraham actually covers uh, almost a dozen verses. And Sarah gets about two of those. But the nice thing about this is that at least it's positive. Most of the time we have things written about Sarah, it's not very positive. It's uh, more bad plans and bad confessions and laughing and stuff like that. But um, here we get some at least positive about, about Sarah, because obviously there had to be something good about about uh, Sarah, but we don't read about it much in the Old Testament. So we're going to get about 12 verses on this. We're going to be looking at almost half of them here tonight. About five we're going to get through. We'll cover the other half after that. And then we move on to the to the sons. But uh, just, just in review, how many of you um, frequent or like to uh, Rick Renner's Sermon of the Month? Anybody ever go up there? I know I put, I put them up on the church Facebook page, but I don't see too many people actually click on it and go through to it. But uh, he had a Sermon of the Month this month. And so instead of just um, uh, throwing it out there, I, I just saw it. I think it was yesterday he popped it up on, the, on his Facebook page. So, I, of course, I found it on YouTube. You have to find it on YouTube. If you look at a Facebook post that Brother Rick puts up about his Sermon on the Month, you only get about three, four, or five minutes of it on the Facebook post. You have to actually go into uh, YouTube and look it up. And then you can find it and you can hear the whole thing. But you won't hear the whole thing on the Facebook post. So if you look for that and cut, cut off short, wonder where the rest of it is, you have to do a little bit of, I don't know why it's that way. That's just how it, um, it comes out. So I just know it's that way. I do the search. I find it. And, uh, and listen to the whole thing. But as he was going through here, he actually jumped into this section of Hebrews that we have been on. And I know one of the things he brought out, I kicked myself and said, I forgot to get into that when we were back there earlier in chapter 11. So I'll review that part of it for you. But he also had something interesting at the end of this uh, one particular verse, and we'll get into, into that here at the end. But back in Hebrews 10.23, would you pull that verse up on the, the screen for us, Brother Darrell? Hebrews 10.23, he was starting out looking at this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When he said, let us hold fast that confession, that word there for confession he was bringing out actually means divine alignment. Not just that you are repeating words, not just that you are saying things, but that you keep yourself in alignment with God. You and God are in agreement. So confession is not agreeing, or I'm sorry, confession is not uh, speaking. It's not just repeating something. It is agreeing. And just because you say that you're in faith does not mean that you're in faith. There's a whole lot of people who think they're in faith and are making the right confession. And I loved his example. I've, I've told you this example before because I've heard him use it before, and it was actually a wonderful example. But uh, he was staying, this is when he was traveling around the, this country, and he was staying at a particular pastor's house. Because, of course, before we had so many hotels and things like that, if you were a traveling minister, you generally stayed in the parsonage. They usually had a room for you, and you stayed in there. So he was in the parsonage, and he heard late at night the phone ring, um, which is, I guess, not too uncommon. This is, of course, back when before cell phones, and you know, you actually had a phone on the wall with a cord. <laughs> and so uh, it was ringing, and he said uh, nobody picked up for 10 rings. He was counting them, 20 rings, 25 rings. 35 rings. Nobody was answering his phone. And so he finally got tired of it. He said, well, if nobody else is going to answer the phone, I'll answer the phone. So at ring number 45, he's down there in the kitchen looking for the phone. He finds the phone on the wall, picks the phone up, and the phone keeps ringing. 
It doesn't stop. It just keeps on going. So he sees next to him, there is this uh, uh, cage with a cover over it. He lifts up the cage. Inside is a bird, and it is making the sound of a phone. <laughs> so he says, just because you are, <laughs> he used that to, to let us know, just because you are making the sound of faith does not mean <laughs> that you really are in faith. And it was a great example for it. And I've, I've loved it. And when he told it again, I said, oh, I haven't heard that story in a while. But it's uh, one of my favorites of one of the ones that he would tell. But in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, it says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. And when you look at this, he witnessed the good confession. Why, how does Jesus have a good confession before Pilate? And he was bringing this out. Not a lot of the way this, that he was, he was bringing out on this. He said the confession that Jesus has is not the things that he says. It's the things that he, he didn't fall out of agreement. He stayed in agreement with the Father. Now, he stayed in agreement on two things. First off, he stayed in agreement with the plan of God. And secondly, he stayed in agreement with, the, with who God said he was. When he was in that, in that area of Pontius Pilate, when the soldiers had them in, if you were reading along, in the scriptures, you, know, you just came across that one where he was in the praetorium and the things that the, the prisoner or the, the guards were doing to him. And they were, they were mocking who he said he was. And the pressure was on to try and, and not say who he was. And this is exactly what the enemy tries to get us to do, to get us to change our confession or our agreement. That even though the word of God says we are healed, I'm not healed. When the Word of God says I'm prosperous, I'm not prosperous. When the Word of God says I'm called, I begin to think I'm not called. When the Word of God says I'm gifted, I begin to think I'm not gifted. And the list can go on. When the Word of God says something about you, the enemy tries to get you to fall out of agreement with that. And what it says here in Timothy is that Jesus, despite all that pressure and everything that was put down upon him, he did not fall out of agreement with what God had said. Isn't that good? I really, I really enjoyed that, that he was talking about. So uh, it's, if you go on to the rest of the places in Scripture where he teaches about this, if a man, any man shall say that his mountain be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, and basically what that is, is saying is don't come out of agreement. Don't doubt. You see, if you doubt in your heart, you come out of agreement. Stay in agreement with God. If God said that you can say it, and it will happen. Stay in agreement with what God said. Don't fall out of that. That's an important thing to do. Of course, James Scripture 2, on not wavering, would come into play there. It took Abraham a long time to get to a place where he was in agreement with God. But when he finally got to a place where he was in agreement with God, things happened. Things were, were going that were good. So um, that's up there. You can look up uh, Brother, uh, Brother Rick Renner's Sermon on the Month. And... Um, I know that you will enjoy it. If you have any trouble finding it, let me know. And um, I didn't put that one up there on the church Facebook page, but uh, it's, it's a good one. I put some past ones up there before, um, but uh, I did not do this one. So let's get over here with Hebrews chapter 11. There's still something more we're going to pull out of that and show you here, but we're going to wait for that at the end. Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So of all the things that you can talk about with Abraham, all the things that are out there that you can say, Abraham, this is a man of faith. How many of you will go to this first? 
I don't think this would be the, my first thing. I don't think it'd be the. I think there's other things I would look at first that would um, would catch my attention. But by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So this is an act of faith. Again, the the the, the folks we saw here before. Abel offered a sacrifice because that's what God said he wanted to do. Enoch, he was translated. He believed that what God said that he was going to be trans, translated from the earth never happened for anyone else before, but he believed that what God said would go on and it happened. Noah was told by God, a flood is coming. It's going to rain. He got ready for it. He got ready for something that he had never seen. Rain that had never come. he never seen rain before. All this is new stuff. He believed God and he stayed in agreement. We talked about the pressure that Noah was probably under from all the forces that were there trying to get him out of agreement. We can put it to to you that way. Trying to get him to not agree with what God said and to, to go into a different direction. But he didn't do it. Enoch, the pressure that came against him because he was a very vocal things for the things of God and the pressure that probably came against him to um, in a very violent society. And he did not... Uh, fall from that. So here we have this obedience. Now his obedience doesn't bring, it's not brought out here in Hebrews, but we all know from reading the book of Genesis, because we've all read the book of Genesis, and we know that his obedience was partial. <laughs> that God said, leave. Leave her, leave your father, leave your relatives. And he got up, brought Lot, brought his dad, <laughs> all kinds of, all the stuff they had, and they made this big trip. They wanted out. Leaving again, uh, when he got up to uh, Haran, there his father died, and then they left there again, and he still brought. Now, they left some family back there because there was, that's where people were sent to go back and get a wife. That's where the family was. So he apparently left with a whole lot of family, but then he left Haran with just Lot. That still wasn't what he was supposed to do. So we still have partial obedience. He's still not completely obeying, but this is the thing that he picks. So then he gets down to the land that God showed him. Again, he leaves without knowing what that land is. Just think, just think about that. How many of you would like to go on a trip with somebody who says, let's just go. We'll figure out where we're going as we're, as we're going. I don't like that. I want to know where we're going. Abraham had to leave and then be shown. And if you look at the, look at the map, go ahead and pull our map up for us. And we'll, we'll take a look at this. God said, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And so when he goes to the land that we're going to, we're, we're going to see, he didn't just make a direct uh, line there. He's down over here in Ur, and he heads all the way up here to Haran. And then he comes back all the way down over here. So why not just go that way? <laughs> Are there, I don't know if there's mountains in the way or something like that, and that's how you had to get around it. But uh, there still seems like a little bit more of a better way to go than the way that he went. So why does he go that way? We don't know. Maybe he went where God had said. And so maybe God had a purpose for him going north first and then bringing him south. But that's, that's where he had, had gone. Now we're going to come back to that map in a little bit. But he left once he gets there and he sees, well, there's no water. There's a drought. There's famine. And so then he leaves there goes down to Egypt. That's a faith man right there, isn't it? God says, I want you to go. He gets there. Oh, apparently he's not ready for me right now. So then he goes back down south to Egypt. Doesn't go so well there. 
And he uh, comes back up. But he's coming back with Hagar. At least I assume that's where he picked up Hagar. We didn't hear about her before. And she is an Egyptian. So it would seem like that's where she came from. So I put in your outline this. It would seem that God focuses on what we did more than more so than what we didn't do. At least at some level. You get into lower levels of, of faith and God is more focused on what you did do than what you didn't. Now you get into higher levels of faith and uh, your, in your walk and God is going to focus a little bit more on what you didn't do. Case in point would be Moses at the rock. God was very upset with him for having struck the rock. And, of course, we know that God says, all right, now you're not going into the promised land. And again, I'll tell you again, if I'm Moses, I'm saying, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I get to retire. This is good. Going back over to Genesis chapter 12, here, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now this is from Haran, not from Ur. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. Apparently they were there long enough to acquire people. I don't know how you acquire people. I'm not exactly sure what you... (laughs) If you hire people, if you... um, They acquired people. So however it was they acquired people, they all went with them too. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now in Acts chapter 7, picking up at verse 2, we have Stephen's sermon. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abram had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. Now, keep this in mind. Some of this parts we're going to get into later on, but I want you to keep, keep remembering what's, what Stephen was talking about in verse 5. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abram had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. So there's no child. Nothing really belongs to Abraham. But he says, to your descendants, I'm going to give this. What that means is when he says, I'm going to give it to your descendants, it means... I'm not giving it to you. Wouldn't that be right? It's going to be. It's going to come to his descendants. Now he becomes the heir, but he doesn't inherit anything. The inheritance comes later on, when the children of Israel come up, cross over the Jordan, and take Jericho. That's when the inheritance started. But up until then, they don't inherit the land, do they? God even told him, he says, 400 years are going to be in Egypt. Or no, he didn't say Egypt, but he said another place. 400 years ended up being 430, probably because of Moses' disobedience. Now, they were called Hebrews. Put our, our, our uh, map back up on the screen there. They were called Hebrews. 
So what does Hebrews mean? What does the word Hebrew mean? I mean, where does this word come from? Does God call them Hebrews? Is that where the term came from? Did Abraham just decide, you know what, we're going to be a people, we need a name. What do you think is a good name? And they sat around one time and said, you know what, I think I'd like to be a Hebrew. Did they just come up with a name? Where did the term Hebrew come from? Why are they always referred to as Hebrews? So I um, did some research on this, and I found out the way that they became Hebrews is not a name that they put upon themselves. It was put upon them by other people. Other people called them this. The name Hebrew, it actually, and I, I pulled the definition out, the root letters are used to mean to cross over or to pass through. To cross over or to pass through. In particular in the Bible, it speaks about crossing a river. Crossing a river. Now the reason for that is because of Abraham's history here. Take a look at Abraham. He's over here in Ur. Now one map one route that they have, and I don't know where they come up with these routes, but I've only found two routes, and this is the map that had both of them on it. Two routes that he took. One has them going over this way, crossing over the river here, I believe that's the river Euphrates, coming up into Assyria here, and then going crossing over one of the tributaries, and then coming over to Haran, and then going back over the Euphrates, coming down over here, and when he comes over to the land of Israel, guess what he goes over? The Jordan River. So, river, river, river crossed over rivers to get there. Now, it would seem that the term Hebrews was used by the Egyptians, not the Canaanites. The first reference we really have for it comes from the Egyptians. The Egyptians are the ones referred to them as Hebrews. So this, I was beginning to ponder on this for a little while. If the, if the Egyptians are the ones who refer to these people as Hebrews, river crossers, and they go on their way and they come to the Red Sea. <laughs> and they say, let's pursue, just think about this, let's pursue those who cross over the river. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's pursue those who cross over. We're not Hebrews, they are. They are river crossers. <laughs> and we're going to pursue them who are river crossers. Doesn't that, isn't that kind of stupid? Why would you pursue someone that you have called for over 400 years river crossers? And you're going to pursue them into a body of water when you have never been a river crosser. You don't refer to yourself as a Hebrew, a river crosser. So, in the beginning, Abraham is the one who crosses over the rivers to get over here. And then, what happens to, um, to, with Isaac? With Isaac, we go get his wife. Where do we get his wife from? We cross over the rivers. We get the wife. We come back. Cross over the rivers again. And then Jacob. What does Jacob do? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What does Jacob do? He crosses back over the river to go back up to Haran. Works for his uncle for a while. And then he comes back and does what? Crosses over the rivers. And then when they leave Egypt, they do what? They cross over the Red Sea. And then before they go into the Promised Land, what do they do? Cross over into the Jordan. 
So the term Hebrew is river crossers, those who cross over. And that's what they did. They kept constantly crossing over. So it was actually a term that was put onto them by other people, not one that God selected, not thing, anything that, said, that uh, was talking about anything godly. They just described what they did. They crossed over. <laughs> kind of amazing that they, um, they pursued over that. All right. Now, with that in mind, Joshua chapter 24, verse 3. This is, this is Joshua speaking. Then I took your father. I'm sorry. My, I'm sorry. Joshua's being spoken to. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river. From where? The other side of the river. Led him through throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them afterward. I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eye saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time and I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand then you might, that, that you might possess their land and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, crossed over the river. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the God's which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They were river crossers. But see, sometimes they crossed over the river and they brought the things with them from the other side. And yet for 400 years, they were, they were spoken to by the Egyptians. Hebrews, you are river crossers. You are people who cross over. And they heard it probably as a derogatory term. And God says, oh, no, no, no. This is not a bad term. This is good. You are those who cross over. And when he brought, had them come out of Egypt, they made some miraculous crossovers. I don't know that... Uh, Abraham had any, any miraculous crossovers. I don't know that Isaac, when they went to find a wife for him, there was any miraculous crossovers. Or when Jacob went, we don't hear of any miraculous crossovers. They just crossed the river. But when God brings them all out, two to four million people, it was a miraculous crossing over the Red Sea and a miraculous crossing over the Jordan. 
And what they had said for 400 years over them, you are Hebrews, you are those who cross over. They, they came out and did that in a very powerful way. So when you hear the word Hebrews, understand what it means. Come back over here to verse 9. Well, verse, um, verse, the rest of uh, verse 8. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. It was an act of faith. To leave everything behind that you have. Of course, he didn't leave everything behind. He took a lot with him. But he still left some stuff behind. <laughs> and, he, and he went. Verse 9. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, all the times that you read through the Old Testament, all the times that you read through the stories of Abraham, all the times you see the, 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 the wanderings he did from the place of Ur up to Haran, all the way back down into the land of Canaan, all the way back down into Egypt, back up into Canaan, and all the times around Canaan. Did this ever stand out to you? Why doesn't Abraham settle down? As rich as he is, why doesn't he buy land somewhere? Why doesn't he build a house? Why do, I mean, he's rich. Isn't it easier to protect a house than it is a tent? But he continued to live in a tent and wandered around the land that was going to be his descendants. Something that God says, I've given it to you. You look around. It isn't his yet. He can't walk up to the city and say, this is my city. His descendants will, but it wasn't something he could do. But he keeps wandering around. And then we find out from this here in Hebrews that it was his choice. He chose to wander in a tent. And the reason for it is spectacular. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. What city is that? That would be the New Jerusalem. So Abraham, in the book of Genesis, is looking ahead and believing God and waiting for a city that has not been described until the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation describes it in detail. And Abraham, somehow, vision, dream, whatever it might be, saw it. And he says, I'm not going to dwell anywhere until I'm dwelling there. So I'm going to wander around in tents when people come up to me and ask me, why don't you buy a house? Why don't you buy some land? He says, because I am waiting for a city that's not here yet. But that's where my dwelling is going to be. Why should I dwell in some place that's temporary? I'm waiting for one that's permanent. And here's another thing. Why in the world buy land that's already been decreed to you? Why should you be buying this? God's already given it to me. It's going to come to my descendants. Why should I buy it now? I don't need to buy it now. It's all coming my way. So he didn't do it because of what he saw that was coming. So that's where an act of faith was. He's wandering around all that place in a tent. And Hebrews brings out, this is, a, this is an act of faith on his part. Because he saw this great city that was coming. God showed it to him somehow. God told him about it, however it was. And he believed it. And for all the things that he didn't do so well, 
from the time he left her until the time that he died, he continued to live in a tent. Now you think, of, think about this. How would you like to be living in a tent? Think of it right now with all the rain that's falling. How would you like to be living in a tent? The storms come up. How would you like to be living in a tent? When the winds are blowing, sand storms coming or nasty storms of some type just blowing all over and you're in a tent. I wonder how many times I had the conversation. Sarah says, why aren't we living in a house? Why are we living in a tent? And she may not have been the one who saw it. Abraham may have been the only one who saw it. He says, no, no, we're not, we're not buying a house. We're living in a tent. Not even a mobile home. A tent. And he says, he says, for by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. This is the land that God has promised me, but I dwell here as if I'm in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So why didn't Abraham buy land? Why didn't he build a house? Why didn't he become permanent? <laughs> because this was an act of faith for him. This is a statement of faith. I believe God is bringing something greater, and I'm going to wait until then. For he waited. So God must have shown him what was coming. And again, as we already told you, why buy what's yours? It's already yours. Why buy it? So even though Abraham knew he would not be the one to inherit the land, that he would only be an heir, he acted like it was his. That's an act of faith. Then we get on to Sarah. Just for a little bit, we come back to Abraham. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So it says Sarah received strength. That word there, strength, is dunamis. We know what that one means. It doesn't mean explosive power. It means in, uh, uh, indwelling power. It's, it's part of the nature. She received strength. She received dunamis to conceive seed. So it wasn't just all Abraham's doing. She had a part in it too. By, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength. Now, the last we saw about her before the baby was born, she's laughing. She hears the word of God. You're, by the, you know, in a year, I'm going to come back. You're going to have a baby. And Sarah says, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so then God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? I don't know. I found Abraham. I'm saying, well, I don't know. Go ask her. So I guess they did go ask her. And she said, I didn't laugh. God says, oh, no, you did laugh. And so he says, all right, just for that, we're going to name the child Isaac, which is laughter. So every time she calls him Isaac, she's going to remember, I laughed. I laughed at the promise of God. And there he is. Can you imagine God doing that to you? Every time you call for the son to come in, Isaac, come on in, let's have dinner. You're reminded, I laughed at the promise of God. Laughter. Now we can laugh at the enemy. Maybe she turned that around after a while. She says, I laugh at the enemy. 
because he was telling me this wouldn't happen. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Now, she couldn't have children when she was the age. She didn't have any kids. She was barren. Now she's past the age, and then a, a baby's coming. And here's why. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, we all know about her alternate plan with, with Hagar. Mm-hmm. That she came up with, a, you know what? I'm not having any kids. I got this uh, um, bond woman. Let's, uh, let's use her. We all know that she left. We all know that she had a hard time getting to that place of faith, but apparently she did eventually get there. But it says here that because she judged him faithful who had promised. Faithful who had promised. There are two primary purposes for this particular word. Two primary purposes. And I wrote the the word down for you there. And it took me a while. I I read over all the instances of this word. And after I got about halfway through it, I could finally get to this. It took me halfway through the list. I think there's about uh, 28 to 30 references of this word in the New Testament. And it took me about halfway through before I could finally catch on. All right, I can read the verse. I can figure out which one it was. Because I was reading in the English. I wasn't reading in the Greek. You read in the Greek. You can see it right there. But I was reading in English. I was trying to find it in there. Because sometimes that helps me get the, to, to learn the word. If I can find out which English word it, it was that was doing this. But there's two primary uses for this. One is to lead, rule, or guide. And the other is to think, consider, esteem, or count. Now let me read some of the references here for you. Here's a couple of them for the first meaning. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6, you can write these down if you want to. don't have to. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Luke 22, verse 26, But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs, or some translations read, is chief as he who serves. That word there, governs, is the same word. Acts chapter 7, verse 10, And delivered him out of all his troubles, and gave him favor and wisdom in the possession of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. That's talking about Joseph. Made him governor. So that's three verses for just the, the first use. And there's a lot more of them in, the, in Scripture. Like I told you, 28, 30 verse times this, this word is used. Now here, let's take a look at the other meaning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Therefore, I thought... That's that word. We go from governor, ruler, to I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So he's talking about, I, had this thought, I was thinking on this, I had this thought. Philippians 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. The word there, esteem, is the same word. And here's, the, here's another one. Philippians 2, and verse 6, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider... It robbery to be equal with God. The word there, consider, is our word. So here we have thought, esteem, and consider. Before we had governor, ruler. How, how, do you, how does that word mean both these things? 
Now, I know it's, it's common for Greek to have words that have multiple meanings, but usually they're at least in line with each other. This one seems to be all the way on the different sides. So I pulled out all my Greek helps. I pulled out every one that I could do. I got, I mean, I told you, I got some big guns back in there. <laughs> These are not ones you will have access to uh, on, a regular, on a regular daily basis. You probably can't even go in the library and find some of these. And I pulled them all out and I could not find that I could not get a picture of this word, what it was meaning. So I continued to search and I kept on looking and it took a while till I find this. I found this out, but I found this particular definition and this particular definition helped me out. And here's, here it is. It's not in your outline. Um, you know, if you want to write it down, I'll leave it up here for you, but. Uh, did, I, I didn't, did I leave it in your outline? Is there a five there for you? Okay, I thought it was just in mine because it's kind of lengthy and I didn't have a whole lot of room. What goes before in front is the basic definition. What goes before or in front? So if you are a ruler, if you are a governor, you are the one who goes before or in front. It refers to coming first in priority, such as the leading thought in one's mind. To esteem, regard highly, or a leading authority providing leadership in a local church. Now, I read that. That helped me understand this. Did that help you? A leading thought. What this word is meaning is something that is at the lead. When it's talking about a particular individual, it's talking about them being a ruler or a governor or someone who is chief. When it is talking about like it is here with, with Sarah. Pull up our verse again here for us. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She put as her primary consideration him who was faithful. Now, does that help you understand that verse a little bit better? Not just that he, she judged him faithful. She'd say, well, you know what? I'm going to decide that he's faithful. No, she put as the primary consideration, the foremost thought of all the things that came to her. How many, you know, other things could come to her? First off, you've never had any kids. Secondly, you're past menopause. No more babies for you. Third, all your faith failures up to this point. It hasn't worked so far. Have a, have a fourth, you laughed at the promise of God. <laughs> all these things come in. She had to take all those and move them out of the way and take as her primary thought. But he is faithful. Now, up until this point, that hasn't been her primary thought. That hasn't been the ruling thing in her life. Up until this point, other things have. I haven't had any babies. I don't seem to be able to be capable of that. It doesn't seem to be something that's going to happen. But she moved it around. And she, she, she worked with it. And she got it to the point where this is now the prevailing thought for me. This is the first. This is the highest. This is the priority of all things that I'm going to think on. This is the one that I'm going to think on the most. This is the one I'm going to think on first. This is the thought that everything else is compared to and if it doesn't agree with that thought, it is cast out. I'm going to bring it into line. I'm going to bring it into agreement. And she did that. And when she did that, not judged him faithful, 
when she made the primary concern, the primary thought that he was faithful, that's when it changed. That's when she received strength in her body. Not just that she judged him faithful. And she got all the other things out that were coming in and telling her, you're not going to have a baby. God's not going to come through. How many years have you been waiting for the promise of God to come through? How many years have you been waiting for this baby? It's not going to happen. When she got all that out of her, uh, not, it's not necessarily out of their head, but it's no longer in the primary seat. It's no longer in the first, the first uh, row. It's back there. Mm-hmm. It, would be, it would be coming up, but every time it comes up, it says, wait a minute, do you agree with this guy up here in the front that Jesus is faithful? No, you don't. All right, sit down. Mm-hmm. And she got to that point. But up until then, she couldn't do it. Up until then, every time one of those other voices came up and told her something contrary, she, well, come on up here, let's, let's talk about that for a little while. Come on up here, let's entertain that thought for a little bit. And sometimes we do the same thing. We have all these other voices that come along and tell us something different. But it says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength. Dunamis. To conceive seed. It means up until then she didn't have it. But she received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged or she made the primary thought he is faithful. He is faithful. He has promised and because he promised he is faithful to his promise. Therefore, this is what's going on. Now here's the other thing about this particular word. This particular word is in the aorist middle. I'm sure that means absolutely nothing to most of you all out there. But it's the aorist middle in the, in the voice. I have stuff that breaks all this stuff down and I can look it all up and, and then you know, sometimes I have to brush up on my Greek and go back, all right, remind me again what the middle voice is. Because <laughs> you know, there's an active voice, there's a passive voice, and then there's something in the middle. <laughs> and that's called the middle voice. So, I wrote down a definition for you so I could read it for you. When the, when the Greek middle voice verb form is used, the subject of the verb is seen as acting upon itself or for its own benefit. All right. Now that may be blind to you. You may feel, I'm not sure what that means. All right. It sounded really good. So I have a sentence for you. John bought himself a car. That would be middle voice. It is an action that you did for yourself that you benefit from. So this is in the middle voice. God didn't benefit. What we're saying by using this is God didn't benefit. She did. If we will get ourselves to the place where the foremost consideration is that He is faithful who promised. That whatever God promised... He is faithful. When we get ourselves to that point and we decide that is going to be my foremost thing to consider, that is going to be the top, the top priority. Or basically, you can put it this way, that is the thought that is going to rule me. I am the one who benefits from me making that decision. That's the middle voice. Does that help you with that one? I don't know. Do we have a middle voice in the English? I don't know if we do. I don't know English that well. Maybe some of our folks over there on Facebook know English. Any English teachers in the, in the group here tonight? 
I am not an English teacher. I don't know English. Maybe we have a middle voice in the English. Maybe we just get there using a bunch of words. But they have an actual uh, uh, tense, and you can actually, it's in the spelling of the word. It's how you spell the word that puts it in the middle, the, the middle voice. Uh, for some people, that's what makes Greek so intimidating. It's because all the different spellings of all the different words, and it tells you uh, your, your mood, your voice, um, all the, all, so many different things about it. But that's what we're, we're used here. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So because of what Abraham did, he obeyed, he sojourned, and Sarah, she judged, it puts in the New King James, but we know a little better translation of that. She took as first priority the thought that he is faithful. She did that. And from that, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now for many, what God said is not the leading thought or the first priority. For many people, what God said is not the leading thought or the first priority. For a time with Abraham and Sarah, these things were their highest thought. These things were the first priority. And I, I li- just listed four <coughs> things for you. You could probably add some other things to it. But first off, it was their bodies, wasn't it? Their bodies were a, a thing that was the, a thought before what God said. The results, how many times we hear Abraham, I don't have. This hasn't happened. The results were something that came as a foremost thought, as the, the ruling thought in their, in their minds. Their feelings, what they felt. Sight, what they saw. These are things that, that affected them. Caused Sarah to come up with a whole new plan. Perhaps God. Well, let me have a child through Hagar. Now, here's a, some blank space underneath that for you. What are some things, what are some other things for you? What are some other things that are the prevailing thought over what God promised? Over the thought that God promised that he's faithful. What are some of those things for you? Now, go back over to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. told you there was something else that Brother, Brother Rick was bringing out. And this is, uh, this is one of the things I had in my notes before, and I'm thinking, I don't think I went over this part of it. But then part of what Brother Rick was just bringing out, I was just enjoying it. But by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Remember that verse we went over? The word worlds there is not the word, the word cosmos as in the world or the universe. It is actually the word worlds meaning times times and you remember in Hebrews he was talking about the different dispensations or different times different time frames that were set up different ages that's another another way to put it how things were done by faith we understand that the ages that the time frames were framed by the word of God alright now this part came from brother Rick and his, his little uh, thing that he put in there the worlds or time periods were framed, and that word there for framed here means adjusted or changed. 
that the time frames, the time periods, the ages were adjusted or changed. Adjusted or changed. By faith, we understand that the time frames were adjusted or were changed by the Word of God. And here's a note that Brother Rick brought out on this. And he's a far better, far better Greek person than I am. I mean, the distance is huge. Brother Rick can actually sit down with his Greek New Testament and read it for his devotions. I cannot sit down with my Greek New Testament and read it for my devotions. I can read it, but not necessarily for my devotions. He put it this way. We're framed or adjusted and changed by the word of God instead of that by those who received a word from God. Boy, does that change that meaning? By faith, we understand that the time frames were adjusted or changed by those who received a word from God. And then where do we go in chapter 11? We talk about people who received a word from God and changed times. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. You see, they heard, they had a word from God and they took that word of God and they changed the time that they were living in. Not because of God said it, but by faith. See, God doesn't have to have faith in His Word. Right? I mean, God does not have to have faith in His Word. He said it. We have to have faith in His Word. So when we talk about by faith, the only one we're not talking about by faith is us. And that's why He goes over all these different people and the things that they say. Because by faith, these people got a word from God, believed it, and changed times. Wow. I mean, that's just, that can just rock your world. What kind of things can you change in your time by believing what God has said? What kind of things can we alter? Even if we don't rock everybody's world like these guys did. Because I mean, Noah, he rocked the world of everyone around them. He changed the life of everyone around him. I mean, either <laughs> good or bad, he changed. Enoch, oh, he was very vocal about the things that, that God had said. Changed, changed things. Abraham, by you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He changed times. Sarah, too, is involved with that because because of her faith, her body received strength. And that seed came. This is how powerful it is. When God speaks a word to you, whether it's in his written word, he speaks it to your spirit. When you will make it the priority, the main thing that you think on, then nothing else alters it. No matter what anyone else says, I believe what the word of God says. That's what I believe. Because that's in the word.
say, because no matter what, I believe what he said. When the Word of God says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, guess what? I believe it. Because God said it. When God says, if you speak to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, I believe it. Because God said it. When God says, go to a land that I will show you, Abraham believed it. Because God said it. Oh, the list goes on. But here in Hebrews, he's listing these people who changed the world because they believe what God said. We can change our world. We can change the world around the people that are there if we will simply take what God said and believe it. Come in line. Come in agreement with what God said. And as he said back in verse 23 of chapter 10, hold fast. Your confession. Don't fall out of agreement with God. It's not God's job to get in agreement with you. It's our job to get in agreement with Him. And notice that Abraham never got God to agree with him. But eventually God got Abraham to agree with God. What's it going to take to get you in agreement with God for whatever it is that you're doing? See, Abraham believed God in a lot of things finances were really no problem for him to agree with God on but babies that was a different thing that was tougher there were some areas that Abraham walked in agreement with God without any effort at all and there were other areas that was tough always seems like the areas that are tough are the areas that will make their biggest changes certainly the enemy's going to come fight you on that. But get in agreement with God. Whatever God has said in His Word, whatever God has spoken, get in agreement with God. It's not His job to get in agreement with you. It's my job to get in agreement with Him. Father, we thank You for the examples You've given us in Your Word. And we want to come into agreement with You that the things that You have said, we have decided that you are faithful. And that is the foremost thought that we will concentrate on, that we will think on, that our God is faithful. He will do what He said He would do. Father, I thank You that You help us just like You helped Abraham, all his faith struggles, all the things that didn't go so well, You stayed with him. And just like You stuck with him, You'll stick with us. You'll get us to that point where we can come in agreement with what you said. We can see worlds, time frames, altered because we believe what you said. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good comments? Questions? Anything to add? Did I get all your outline blanks? Sarah herself, uh, uh, receives Microphone. strength. Here you go. Oh, thank you. Sir. That Sarah herself receives strength. 
Um, the point where she um, ended up at, where she had uh, that faith uh, going from disbelief and then uh, arriving at that point where she counted him faithful. Mm -hmm. Is there a scripture that is um, give you more insight into that journey that she... For Sarah? Made? No. Yeah. No? I don't know of any. Because really the book of Genesis is very silent on Sarah except for her failures. Yeah. It really doesn't talk because about her success. Because there is a journey that she obviously... Yeah, it didn't take her long. No. I will say that about her. I mean, yeah. she, she she changed it. It may have taken her a day or two. It seems like. It seems like uh, after she left, it seems like she got right in, in line. And um, baby's coming. So if we get in line with God, boy, I tell you what, the results come quick. Yeah, there should have been more on Sarah, huh? Everything. See, even in this verse, we hear over near Hebrews. As soon as we get down and talking about how Sarah did this by one man, <laughs> right back over to Abraham. <laughs> hmm. But she was obviously involved, as we can we can see. It wasn't just Abraham's faith. It was uh, she was involved in it too. There was a period of time that when she had gave her. Her, what do they call her? Her handmaid. Oh, yeah, there's uh, quite a bit of time. He was a teenager by the time. Um, yeah, because he was she around. gave uh, her um, her handmaid to Abraham, and then it was about what a period of 17 years before God talked to him again. Oh, I wouldn't say it was that. I'm sure God was talking to him beforehand. And uh, the last two times we have talking, he says, in a year, you're going to have a baby. And then in a time of life, you're going to have a baby. So that was about three months apart right there. Mm -hmm. So those two words are only about three months apart. Somewhere in that, that neck of the woods. I believe when he had the one and he said in the time of... Um, oh, I'm trying to think of who was... Who was uh, I, I'm pretty sure Sarah... Was that at the nine month one? At the time of life one. I think she was uh, one. I think that she left that. I think Abraham struggled at the one year one. But he was, um, he got himself there. And so uh, Abraham was there before Sarah was, but apparently we were waiting on Sarah at the end. And and she, it may have taken her a lot of years walking in doubt and unbelief, but I tell you what, when she finally figured out what she had to do, she did it. And that was making, he's faithful. That's the, the top priority. Yeah, that word, I, I enjoyed that little little uh, hour study on that one word here today. Just pulling that one, pulling around. There's there's more you can probably look on that uh, up in the. If you have some access to some some Greek helps on that. Anybody else or any other question on that one? Because when you trust, when you learn to trust someone, yeah. um, uh, there has to be some uh, experiences that you're going through 
to where you say you begin to develop a trust in this person mm -hmm. that they're reliable or judge you judge them reliable and count them um, as such to what they said they're going to sure. be in the past mm -hmm. so uh, yeah that was a that was a journey for her it's a journey yes yes uh, well, yeah. Give her, give her the mic. There you go. <laughs> Folks in the internet can't hear you. Um, when Sarah was told that she laughed, she didn't know that, you know, it wasn't a thing, I think, where she felt that she was heard laughing, but she had to know that that had to be by divine uh, revelation that she laughed. So maybe that would be part of could well be you know yeah. because if you're in your tent or whatever and you laugh thought I could get away with and you. And then um, God says, "But you did laugh." Um, that's kind of jerking the slack out really quick, you know. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I found with number four is that it would seem that God focuses on what we did more so that what we didn't do, at least at some level, it reminds me of parenting, you know, because as parents, you know, you expect certain things from your kids when they're small or or you focus on certain things like when, you know, maybe they pick up the toys or, you know, or, or something and you're like, you did a great job yeah. picking up your toys, yay! But as they get older, you know, you're not so willing to say, yeah, you picked up your clothes, you yeah. know, or you, you it know, changes. so it right. changes. And I think, I think it's the same thing happens uh, between us and God is yeah. that as we grow, he's like, okay, I, I need you to, to get beyond that. And that's what yeah. these folks did. These folks did. got beyond yeah, you picked up your toys, you know, and and moved. And when they got beyond that, as you said, um, they changed their world and the rest of the world. So. Changed it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 